If you haven't yet, go ahead and open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I have a question for your consideration. What is the hardest part about living the Christian life? Of the Christian disciplines, of the Christian activities and practices, those things that we're called to do as those who follow after Christ, what, what, is, what is one of the areas that we tend to struggle with the most? I don't know about yours, but I can tell you that mine is uh, prayer. Being a prayer warrior, as God has called me to be. Now, I pray, and I pray daily, and I pray with dedicated times of prayer. But any time that you have a message on prayer, almost everybody says, yeah, that's an area of my life that I need to work in, that I need to develop, that I struggle with. In our text today, we've been using Paul as an example, as we've gone through the, the first part of Colossians, to see how God worked in his life and how God used him. And so how God can use us as well. We, of course, have, have been to multiple passages of Scripture looking to see how we can grow and increasingly glorify God in our lives as just as we go through this week and the week after that and the week after that. As a church, of course, we're seeking to become more and more vital, more and more connected, more and more useful to the kingdom of God, both in proclaiming the gospel, in teaching and, and encouraging others. Uh, we want to be used by God to make a difference in the world. And that was last week where we looked at the global perspective that comes down to a congregational perspective, that comes down to an individual as God guides and directs our life and as we live increasingly yielded to Him. But that's not going to happen if we aren't a praying people. If we are, we can gird up our arms. Uh, gird up our arms. Don't gird up your arms. You can, you can, you can roll up your sleeves. You can take off your coat. You can do everything that you need to and get to it and work hard. And there is a component to the Christian life that I want us to grasp and understand. I love this song. I will hasten, hasten to Him, hasten so glad and free. Why? Because I am resolved, no longer to linger, charmed by the worlds that are like things that are higher, things that are nobler. These have allured in my sight. So I will hasten. I will hasten to him. Hasten so glad and free. Jesus, you know, my Savior, here I come. I come to thee. And we can establish and make a res resolution in our mind and make a commitment. And yet what we see repeated throughout, Christ throughout the Scripture is that while that is necessity and that is a requirement, unless God does the work, we labor in vain. When Paul talks about my labors on behalf of the church, my desire to prevent, present every man complete and perfect in God, he said, for this I toil, I strive, and I work through his power that works mightily within me. That's at the very end of Colossians chapter 1. And so we have our resolve, our faith, our commitment. But if we want to see hearts changed, if we want to experience the peace that passes understanding when we go through the trials of this life, if we want to know what it means to live the glorious, victorious life that God, the abundant life that Jesus calls us to live, then we have to have the power of God working in us and working through us. And that doesn't happen without prayer. It doesn't happen without this talking to God and this communing with God that is essential. And so prayer is important. But, by the way, a survey done in the United States, 75%, 77% of people in the United States say they pray every day. Pretty good statistic, right? 
77% of the people, population of the United States, say they pray every day. How much time do people spend praying every day? The overwhelming amount was three to five minutes. Okay. So a very small amount, but people praying every day. What I want us to do is to pray that God will call us to be more fervently, more passionately a people of prayer. We see that in Colossians. When Colossians chapter 1, in verse 9, Paul turns his attention from thanksgiving and he turns it to intercessory prayer. Prayer is the greatest of all forces, E.M. Bounds writes, because it honors God and because it brings Him into active aid. Now, today we're going to focus on a specific aspect of prayer. You guys are very familiar, if you've been part of the church for any length of time, that we have kind of an acronym that we use to help us to remember the aspects of prayer that we've studied in other passages. We begin with praise, recognizing God for who He is, praising Him for who He is, praising Him for what He has done. And then we move to repentance. We want to make sure that there's nothing preventing us from communion with God or, or hearing from God. So praise and then repentance, and then A is ask. It is petition, one of the New Testament words. Supplication. Uh, It is asking, and frequently when we get to the ask, we begin and end with ourselves. And we are called in Scripture actually to pray for others, to pray for others fervently, to pray for others passionately. Intercessory prayer, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And then why is yield, not my will, but thine. And part of prayer is not that we change the will of God, but that God helps us to see what His will is. And God will change our mind and give us clarity in thinking as we seek to follow Him. If you're like me, you get a lot of requests to pray for people. And usually, it's when somebody's in trouble. They're sick, or there's financial issues, or there's relational issues. This week, I've been asked to pray for multiple people. And it's easy to say yes to those requests. And I do pray for people. I do intercede for people. Uh, But most of the time, most of the requests that I get are simply dealing with life on this earth now, whether it's uh, healing, whether it's uh, other struggles or circumstances that people are going through. As we look this morning, we're going to focus our attention on intercessory prayer. We're, we want to, want to learn how we can better become prayer warriors, how we can prayer warriors, how we can better pray for one another. Epaphras was the man who carried the gospel to the church at Colossae. He's described by Paul in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, he greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Colossae, I mean, Epaphras was was a hometown boy. He was from Colossae. He was the one who had established that church. He was the one who brought the gospel. He was the one who convened the church. Paul had not even been to Colossae yet when he wrote this letter to them. And now Epaphras has come to Paul. He's come to Paul probably with some concerns and needing some assistance and needing some help. But Paul, when he's talking about this man and this church, he talks about how fervently and how much he struggles to pray for them. He uses the word always struggling on your behalf. Different translations will use different words. One of them is to wrestle. The Greek word is agonizomai. Does that sound familiar? Agony, Agonizing. He's agonizing in prayer, wrestling, laboring fervently, striving earnestly. And I want to just 
make a statement that we all know, and that is simply it is hard to maintain a healthy prayer life. And when you add to that, it, praying intercessorily for others, it is hard to maintain a healthy prayer life in praying and interceding on behalf of others. It takes a lot of work. And so that's where we're going to begin. If you're following in the listening guide, I want to make sure that we understand the challenges of what it means to be prayer warriors, of what it means to seriously be praying for one another. Uh, It is challenging. There are struggles with that. You know them. I won't spend a lot of time on them. But I want to pause. And I want to just pray right now. I would ask that you pray for me. I will pray for you. And let's pray together that God will speak to our hearts. Father, this day is yours. We as your people belong to you. You've saved us, you've redeemed us, and you've called us. You've called us to bring glory to you in in every aspect of our life, in our our choices, in our timing of what we eat and what we drink, when we stand up, when we sit down, the places that we go, the things that we we do. Father, even the, the thought processes, the things we allow our minds to dwell on ought to be those things that give glory to you. And the things that give glory to you are those things which highlight your holiness and highlight your purity and highlight your love and highlight your character and your attributes that you make available to us. I'm grateful that as your children, we have all of the riches of God at our disposal as we walk in obedience to you. I'm grateful that you move and that you work and that you work mightily in us. And I pray, Father, that you will help us to become more appropriately prayer warriors, those who are engaged in the battle that we have here on earth, the battle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, against the enemy, against our own flesh and against self. And I pray, Father, that you will indeed have the victory as we walk in obedience to you in this aspect, in this area of our life, of lifting one another up in prayer. It is in your name I pray these things. Amen. Why don't we pray more? Why don't we pray more for others? A lot of people will simply pray and their prayer life consists of thanking God for their food. Or a lot of times when we pray, our prayer life is is simply help the sick. And and I'm not saying we shouldn't. James 5 makes it abundantly clear that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And we should be praying for those who are sick. We should be praying for those who are in distress and have other troubles. But when we focus and limit our focus simply on temporal things, we're missing some of the greatest blessings that God has in store for us. But it is hard for us to consistently engage in a prayer life. Sometimes it's simply because we have too high a view of ourselves. In James chapter 4, the, James writes, and he tells the, the recipients of that letter, and indeed us, that Sometimes our prayers go unanswered. You have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask amiss to spend upon your own passions. He says, you pray and ask selfishly. You pray and ask to spend things upon your own passions, your own desires, without acknowledging that you have a God who has bought you and paid for you with with the shed blood of His Son, Christ. Without acknowledging that we no longer live to please ourselves, but now we should live and do live to please Him. But when we do pray... We, we pray for ourselves and then we pray to spend it upon ourselves rather than praying and seeking God's favor and God's glory and God's activity. Sometimes we don't pray more just because it takes more time. It takes setting aside time to pray. Are you busy? Don't go to sleep yet. Are you busy? A lot of us don't have a lot of discretionary time. 
We have to get up in the morning and we have to go to work. Anybody got small kids at home? Do they take any time? Uh, you got parents that you're caring for? Do they take time? Uh, you got other responsibilities and duties and sometimes just taking care of ourselves because of what's going on in our life. There's a lot of time. I will tell you, though, that there is sufficient time for you to be a, a prayer warrior, for you to be one who faithfully and consistently prays. And listen to me. This is not, I don't mean to, it, it comes down to the priorities and the choices that you make. We're just saying, I am resolved no longer to linger. I am resolved, and who will go with me? I have made some decisions. And for us to be prayer warriors, we have to say, Father, I want to emulate the Apostle Paul. Father, I want to emulate the Lord Jesus Christ. Was anybody busier than the Lord Jesus Christ in his three years of ministry upon this earth? He was continually set upon by the crowds. He was continually followed. As a matter of fact, uh, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus gets away early in the morning to go pray before the sun comes up and the disciples start looking for him. And then they find him. And when they find him, they say, there are other people who want you. And Jesus says, well, let's go somewhere else. And he leads them off in another direction. But Christ, as busy as he was, as many demands he had upon his time, he set aside times to pray. The writer of Hebrew reminds us that when Jesus was incarnate in the flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death. And he was heard. Luke chapter 5 Jesus would withdraw into desolate places and pray. Luke chapter 6, in these days, he went out to the mountains to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, most of us are familiar with Mark chapter 1, verse 34 and 35. Jesus set aside time early in the morning. Early, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and he prayed. There are challenges to us being prayer warriors that we need to surrender. And one of those is we need to prioritize prayer to the extent that we need to be willing to give up some other things. We need to be willing to put the book down. We need to be willing to turn the TV off. We need to be willing to set aside time and lose some sleep, get up earlier, stay up later. Last week, I talked about Adoniram Judson, the missionary, one of the missionaries that we highlighted last week, who is called to Burma, another country, who is called to invest his life there. And in his writings, he says this, every person called my God should wake up early in the morning. And he's talking about midnight to 1230 and dedicate time in prayer. And then he can go back to sleep and get up and be prepared for his day praying Surrendering is time, connecting with God. Today we're talking about a specific type of prayer, the prayer of intercession. You guys know what intercession is. This is where we simply pray for somebody else. And we need to embrace that as a commitment. Have you ever told anybody, or have you told somebody this week, I will pray for you? Did you? Was it a specific request? How do we pray for one another? And I want to talk about some specific aspects of this just for a few minutes this morning. Paul says, since we have heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. So he prays continually. But since he's heard of what? Since he heard good news or bad news? Since he heard good news. Epaphras had come to him and he had gotten the report that he said, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. 
We've heard of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope you have in heaven. We've heard of the fact that you're bearing fruit. We've heard of all these good things, that you are strong, that you are healthy, that you are faithful, that you are living in right relationship with others, and and you're loving one another. And since we've heard these good things, we have not ceased to pray for you. One aspect of praying for others is we need to pray for those who are strong. We need to pray for those who demonstrate godliness in their life. Too often times we simply pray for those who are struggling. When we need to be praying for those who demonstrate spirituality, those who demonstrate a resolve to follow after God, those who demonstrate spiritual leadership. Why? I mean, those are the people who want praying for us, right? But we need to be in prayer for them as well. It's important that we do so for a variety of different reasons. I'll mention just a couple of them. We get one insight from Jesus when he's talking to Peter in John chapter 20. I don't know if you guys remember this. It's also found in Luke chapter 12. Do you remember when Peter told Jesus, I will stay with you and be faithful to you even if I die? And Jesus looked at him and says, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows tomorrow morning. You guys remember that? What has just happened? In Luke chapter 12, Jesus calls Peter over. Simon is another of his names, another name he's called by. And he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. In this case, very specifically, Peter was the strong one. You remember Jesus had chosen the 12 of the 12. There were three, and of the three, Peter would have been the the key leader. He is the main preacher at Pentecost, and we see him again preaching in the temple in Acts chapter 4. Peter has a high role in, in God's plan for the establishment of the church and for the working of the church, and because of that, he's coming under attack. No one, pride goeth before a fall. Everyone, the strong, need your prayers. We need to be praying for one another and not simply for those who are struggling, but we need to be praying for those who demonstrate faithfulness in their life because they will be coming under attack. They will be tempted. They will be uh, prone and have opportunities to fall and to stumble. You need to pray for those who are spiritually strong. You need to pray. We need to pray. We are called to pray more often and more faithful. Paul says, I have not ceased to pray for you. Um, It's important, I think, that we recognize that uh, sometimes we say, well, I can't pray all day. I got stuff to do. And yet Paul told Timothy, I pray for you night and day. Paul told the church at Ephesus in Ephesians, I I am praying for you. I'm praying for you night and day. What is the command in 1 Thessalonians 5.17? Pray without ceasing. Pray continually. The idea there is not that we cloister It's not that we withdraw and we spend all of our time focused in in one specific activity. The idea there is that throughout the day, we, anytime there's a break, anytime there's a crevice, anytime there's a moment, we continually lift up one another. We continually pray for one another. Suzanne and I did a little home renovation recently, um, and uh, we worked on a, a kitchen remodel. You heard me talk about it, right? You probably heard me say, this is a never-ending task. It consumes my nights and my days. 
It's ongoing. Have you ever been through something like that? Well, the idea is not that I don't go to work. The idea is not that I don't have other duties and responsibilities. It's that it is a continual awareness and a continual connection in my mind. And in the same way, as we go through the day, when it's driving down the road, whether it's when we have a break, when we come home in the evening, when we set aside specific time, we need to pray more. As a discipline, approach, get into the presence of God and pray for one another more. And it's easy to preach, pray for the strong. And it's easy to preach that we need to pray more. But I want to tell you, how do we do that? How, what, what do we pray for one another as we spend time in prayer? And so back to our text in Colossians chapter 1. Verse 9, And so, from the day we heard of your strength and your faithfulness, your hope and your joy, we have not ceased to pray for you, praying more, praying fervently, asking a few things. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and in understanding. The third point on your outline is that we need to pray for one another as a family of faith, as brothers and sisters in Christ, for godliness, for us to reflect God's character. Pray for spiritual needs. Pray for God to be glorified in us. Listen, we just talked about praying for the strong. Was Paul spiritually strong? Without a doubt. We see evidence of it in his testimony. We see evidence of, the, of it in, in Acts, throughout the book of Acts, particularly starting in verse 13 and following. We see it in the 13 different letters, epistles that he wrote, that he sent. And particularly when you get to uh, 2 Corinthians and some of those testimonial type things, you see a man who struggles with pride and yet he surrenders it to God. You see a man who feels like in presence he doesn't have a strong voice and so he writes very strong when he communicates. You see a man who has a deep theology. Read the book of Romans and the, the depth of his understanding of God and God's plan and God's interaction with people and what God calls and requires us to do. And Paul was so strong. And yet over seven times in the New Testament, he specifically exhorts people to pray for me. And he doesn't say, pray for my eyesight, I'm having a problem. And he doesn't say, pray for my financial needs, I don't know what I'm going to eat next week. And he doesn't say, pray for temporal needs. He is always asking and inviting prayer for the character of his heart, for the presence of God in his life, for the effectiveness of his witness, for wisdom and for knowledge to know, and that God may open a door here, and that God may may guide him into the doors that he has opened that no one can shut. Paul is always asking people to pray for him and to pray for him according to his spiritual needs that God will continue to be glorified in him and use him to strengthen the believers in the church and use him to carry the gospel where it has not gone. And so it is right and good that we pray for food. We learn that, right? Give us this day our daily bread. It is right and good that we pray for material needs. It is right and good that we pray for health and healing. But if you look in the New Testament prayers, and the prayers are just recorded in the New Testament, most of those prayers have nothing to do with temporal earthly needs. Some of them do. About 10% of them deal with temporal needs. 90% deal with spiritual needs. How does that compare to how we pray for one another? Don't we more often pray for temporal needs and less pray for spiritual needs and eternal needs? needs. He prays for them and he says, 
from the day we've heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The first thing that we pray for people is that they will know, that they will know God, that they will know God's will, that they will know God's word, that they will know how to live a godly life. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, we already have this promise. He says, His divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. We have all that we need for life and godliness provided for us. How? Through the knowledge of Him. And as you keep reading that passage, you see it's through the knowledge of His Word and it's through the knowledge of obedience to the things that He's called us to do. So I want, I started the title of this sermon, How to Pray for Marty. And I need you to do this for me. And I want to tell you that I am doing this for you. I pray that you know God more. I pray that you know more of His character. I pray that you know more of His person. I pray that you know more of His history, His interaction. How did God interact with Adam and Eve, the first ones He created? How did He interact with Abraham and Sarah? How did He interact with Hagar? How did He interact with David and Nathan? What did those reveal us about the person of God and how He interacts with us? His love for us that is continual. His righteousness and His judgment and His mercy. Too often we have such an, a, a, a coloring book view of who God is when He is a, a masterpiece and we need to look deeply and look longingly and long in the face of God. I pray that you will know Him more. I pray that you will tangibly experience His presence. Too many times we go through life as practical atheists. Don't call me an atheist. A negates theos, theos, God. An atheist says there is no God. And yet, we profess the name of Christ. We have been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And yet, too often throughout our day, we live without the knowledge, the conscious knowledge of the presence of God in our life. I pray that you will know God and know His truth. And I'm going to tell you, that's going to require you getting in the Word of God, opening this book, and reading, and memorizing, and meditating, and study. But it's not enough to know. It's not enough to know. We know in order, at least to some extent, in order that we might do. Would you agree with that? We know in order that we might do. What does Paul pray for the Colossians? I pray, I have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner, that's live in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Ephesians, we love the Ephesians 2 passage. We sang about grace this morning. For by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But go to verse 10. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk into them. So here's the second thing. I want you to pray that I know God more, but I also want you to pray that my life will be fruitful. 
that I will walk in obedience, that I will do good deeds, that I will do the things that God has called me to do. And I'm going to pray that for you. And you need to be praying that for one another. I pray that you'll know the things God will have you to know. And I pray that you'll say the things that God would have you to say. That give glory to Him and that build one another up. I pray that you'll forgive. I pray that you will serve. I pray that you will make adjustments in your priorities and do the works that point people to the goodness of God. But here's the here's kind of the foundational part of this. I pray that you will do this in His power and in His might. So I pray that you will not only know, but do and depend. He tells them in verse 11, you are being strengthened or be strengthened in all power according to His glorious might for all endurance. I love the word endurance. Hupomeneo. To up underneath, stand. To bear up under. I pray that you will endure in patience, macrothumia, staying power, so that you may begin, continue, and endure with joy. And so we do this by the power of God. And I will tell you that if you are drained and you are tired, by the way, you may need sleep. We tend to miss out on that. Go to bed. Put the phone down. Close your eyes. Ask God to quiet your mind. As a matter of fact, set your mind on a passage of Scripture or on a characteristic of God or on a a story of the New Testament in the Gospels or on a a simple teaching or a, a focal point in the New Testament and meditate on that and let God let you get some rest at night. And then get up. And in the morning, turn your attention to God and surrender today to Him asking that He be glorified in you and then Pray for someone. Can you imagine what our congregation would be like and what this city would be like if believers were prayer warriors valiantly praying for godliness in each other's lives? And we pray and we experience the power of God as He moves in His work. And so you rest and you get sleep, but you wake up and you set your mind and your attention upon God through prayer that you might know Him. Verse 12, Paul goes on, he says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And I love this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Have you ever known real prayer warriors? Real prayer warriors? People who you knew set aside time and place and they prayed for you. So, will you pray for me? I'd love for you to nod your head or raise your hand or say, yes, I'll pray for you. Will, you. will you pray for me? Will you pray that I'll know God more? And that I will do the good works that God is leading me into for His glory. And then I will do those things in His power and His strength that works mightily within me. And then when you look around in here and find somebody else and say, I want to pray that for you. And not just casually. I'm going to set aside a time and I'm going to set aside a place and I'll set the alarm early 15. The goal of this message is to have you praying for one another more this week than you did last week. And more the next week than you do this week. Can you imagine 
how God would be glorified increasingly in us as we go through this year, as we unite our hearts in praying for one another. Let me tell you, there's, there's so much about intercessory prayer. We are just scratching the surface, just looking at the model of what Paul has done. But are you mad at somebody? Pray for them. Are you frustrated with somebody? Pray for them. You guys ever meet somebody and you think, I really like them. We connect. That's my... that. Good. You, you guys know what I'm talking about. You, you meet those folks and you say, "This is this is going to be a good friendship, a good relationship." Switch that around. You ever meet somebody and you're like, "I don't like them. Oh, I don't like them. I don't like the way they talk. I don't like the way they look. I don't like the way they hold their mouth. I don't like them." What do you do in that circumstance? Pray for them. Fervently, passionately. And I don't mean imprecatory prayers. God, I pray that you'll move them out of my life. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about praying, God, let this person know you more. Let this person be engaged increasingly in things that bring you glory and have a fruitful life. And as you learn the details of their life, pray specifically. And you know what God's going to do? Will He change them? Will He change them? You can answer. Will He change them? There you go. He may change them. But I can tell you one thing He will definitely do. He will change you and your perception of them. And as a body, we increasingly, as as believers scattered around this world, we increasingly glorify God as we pray for one another. Now, what did Paul do at the close of this passage? He thanked God for what he had accomplished. How could they, how could he, much less how could they, he tells them, by the way, fervently in chapter 4, he tells them to pray fervently and passionately. How could they increasingly glorify God and be obedient to all the things He's commanded them to do. Chapter 3 gets very specific in things they need to lay aside and mortify or put to death things they need to take up. How does He he able to do that? Through the power of God that works in Him. Because they've experienced the grace of God. They've been moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You. I don't know how to say this adequately. You're the object of God's affection. Christ died for you. And you didn't earn it. And it's not because you were able to check something off the list or because you have some inherent worth. It's because of who He is and what He has accomplished and His character. And He pours out love on you. You are loved. You are massively loved. You are securely loved. And because you are loved, you can love one another. The clearest demonstration of this love is that we've been moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We've been moved from being separated from God, being being enemies of God, being ungodly, all of this in Romans chapter 5, to being children of God, to being in, inheritors, to being part of the saints, part of the, the family of God in light. And what a great blessing that is. This morning we celebrate that. We give thanks to God that He has brought us out of darkness into light.